Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1117, with guest Greg Shackles. Recorded Thursday, March 12th, 2015. What's shaking, baby? No, this, that, and the other thing. How about you? I'm okay. Yeah? Doing the thing with the stuff? Doing the thing with the stuff. Oh, my God. Music to Code By is blowing up. I can't take it. I can't deal with it. I think you probably can, but it's making you work. Yeah, it's making me work quite a bit. That's good. Yep. Almost got the payment gateway in. You know, it's kind of funny when you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and there's people complaining because they can't download that they ordered like an hour ago. Right. But, you know, that's people really expect instant, instant. And if you don't have a payment gateway and you're processing them yourselves, you're going to be in for a little bit of, uh, you know, that happens. So do you have a payment gateway now? Well, I've been trying to set it up for a week and yeah. uh, they've been giving me the runaround. So oh, it, yeah. I basically have one for Franklin's Net. And uh, the idea was that I wanted to just, you know, change the companies because sure. this is Plot Productions, right? Mm hmm. And uh, they said, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. Went to, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's like, Oh, yeah, you're going to have to apply again. Nice. Yeah. Forgot about that. And look about all look at all these new hoops you get to jump through. Exactly. So I get to talk to a salesman who gets to take a cut just for being nice on the phone. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> There's nothing to actually sell me. I already know what I want yeah. to buy. Just take my order here, boy. Take my order <laughs> and take some of my money. Yeah. Yeah. And then go away. Yeah, well, that's the price of doing business, I suppose. All right. Yep, let's run the music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, as you know, the uh, device mania is upon us. The app mania and devices that plug into iPhones and Android phones and apps. Oh, the land of many accessories. Land of many accessories is coming to the medical world. And oh, yeah? Yes, there are now... Uh, devices you can plug into your phone and apps you can run that can do all sorts of lab tests at home. And this is just going to continue and continue. There's one that I want to bring your attention to at AliveCore.com. That's www.AliveCore.com. It's the AliveCore Heart Monitor. Hmm. It's a mobile ECG. That's cool. And so you can use your smartphone or tablet to instantly detect a serious heart condition in your ECG. And there's an elderly couple there that kind of looks like a Viagra commercial. That's nice. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they look so happy together. I mean, the, the question here is, are you qualified to evaluate an ECG? Yeah, I don't know. And that brings up a very good point. You know, are these things regulated? Are they passed, you know? Yeah, is this actually FDA approved? That's right, a good yeah. question. It's a very good question. I actually just received from one of my uh, many Kickstarter exploits a device called a Scanadu. Oh, wait a minute. Is the Scanadu the one that's like everything? It's got it's like, like a, a little medical tricorder. Yeah. Yeah. So a tiny little gizmo, you put it on your forehead and it doesn't do everything. What it does is give you your, your pulse, your blood ox level and your uh, blood pressure. Yeah. You know, I, th I was thinking it was something else. There's one that has like... 20 sensors on it that you plug into your phone. Actually, it's Bluetooth, but yeah, I think I already but, talked about And I think this that. is the one it was supposed to be, but for the first iteration, there's only so many instruments that actually work. Okay. But it's the medical tricorder. Like, this is what's happening. And, and this the live core device, I mean, in the end, it's it, the phone is a phone. It's just another set of sensors, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, you know, people are amazed at how you can just plug into the headphone jack. Well, here, here's the thing. The headphone jack also has a microphone channel. Right. And so it's got three bands on the on the cable. Yep. And that microphone is essentially an analog to digital converter. 
Yep. Isn't it? Just give it a signal and it'll turn it into data. That's right. And and it doesn't have to be very hi-fi. It just no. has to know the difference between zero and one. And, that, and that's the same plug you put your square into if you want to scan credit cards. Like, it's yeah. it's really interesting to think about the power in these phones. It's really amazing. So it's there cool you go. cool stuff, dude. Nice find. Yep. All right. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1106. And that's the one we did with Suze Hinton just recently. We were talking about building IoT devices. Which I thought was fun. a really fun, that was a really fun conversation. It really was. She it? built some neat stuff. And, uh, and Andrew Burton brought up this interesting point. He said, Hey, great show. It was especially cool to hear about Johnny Five, which is the, uh, li- the JavaScript library for making a lot of this coding a lot simpler. One thing I'm guilty of is thinking that loading Windows 10 on IoT devices is the coolest way to develop in that space. But there will need to be more control interfaces for these devices that may or may not have an LED or two for output, and languages like C Sharp and frameworks like WPF that can be leveraged on the user end is they're more complex than maybe necessary compared to C++ and assembly and so forth on the device. And, you know, that was the big thing about Johnny 5 was just being able to, it was JavaScript, but use the lightest weight language you can. You know, if you're going to get these IoT devices down to the pennies we want them to be, we have to get their footprint to be absolutely as small as possible. And so, you know, that may not mean C sharp everywhere. You know, it depends on where yeah. we where we can get it down to. And, uh, you know, the big question in my mind is when you really look at the footprint, what's going to be the smaller language, a JavaScript runtime or a, a C-sharp runtime? Mm-hmm. So it got me got me thinking about this. And uh, I just was down at Microsoft recently meeting with some of the IoT guys, and they're having that conversation internally, too. I bet they are. You know, it, it's important because it comes down to if you're really going to mass produce these things when it's going to be a product and it's going to be super reliable it's there's an upside to being really small and really light yeah so andrew thank you so much for your comment a dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug write a comment on the website at dotnetrocks.com or on any of our mobile apps because we've got them for windows phone 7 and 8 ios windows 8 and android that brings us to our guest greg shackles greg has been on the show before he's a senior software engineer at olo He's also Xamarin MVP, host of the Gone Mobile podcast, organizer of the New York City Mobile.net Developers Group, author of Mobile Development with C Sharp and a monthly Visual Studio Magazine column, and is a regular speaker at many user groups and developer events. Outside of technology, Greg's obsessed with heavy metal, baseball, and craft beer, sometimes in combination, and also is an aspiring home brewer. Welcome, Greg. Oh, thanks, guys. It's great to be back on the show. Hey, did you uh, like the uh, show that we did with Greg Avola? Yeah, of course. I'm a regular user of the app. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been making a lot of new friends uh, who are going to listen to .NET <laughs> Rocks lately that have nothing to do with programming, but they like the story, and of course, they like beer. Awesome. Yeah, I met him at a, a beer festival a, a couple years back, too. Super cool guy. Yeah, he certainly seems like him. What a great story. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. So uh, what does your home brewing setup look like? Before we jump into the real stuff, I got to know. <laughs> well, we got to do the important stuff first, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, mine's, I mean, I live, in, I live in New York City, so I don't really have, uh, I don't have much room for the, the setup that I would have if I lived out in the suburbs or something. But basically, I have, you know, some big boil kettles, like six, seven gallon kettles. Yeah. Um, and then for a mash tun, I basically have a converted big, um, 10 gallon igloo cooler. So if you imagine one of the normal camping coolers, um, with just some, some new hardware outfitted to it, so you can use it for, uh, putting your, your mash bill into and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the only other real thing I have is, uh, a chest freezer that I turned into my fermentation chamber so that I, I hooked that up to a digital temperature controller that I got off Kickstarter. Nice. Um, well, I've gotten I've gone through a few different ones right now because it's fun to experiment with that. So, what's the one that works? <laughs> uh, the one right now I have is called a, a Brewbit, which works really, really well. Um, and you can set schedules, so I can say, well, hold it at you know sixty-seven degrees for a day, and then slowly ramp it up to seventy degrees, and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, and then I could pull it up on my phone, and I could watch the temperature while I'm at work because I'm I feel like micromanaging the whole thing. So yeah. it's it, it's a lot of fun. That's too bad Mary Jo's not here, Richard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's going nuts. Talking about those beer fans. Yeah. So, uh, iBeacon development is interesting uh, topic to me because um, I went ahead and got some of the um, Motorola versions of these that have 
iBeacon support and also um, support for other devices other than iOS and uh, found some interesting things about them. But I'm really interested to hear what your experience with iBeacon has been. And maybe we should just start by telling people what it's all about. Yeah, and and I think the way I would start that is actually to step back a, a little bit further since I mean iBeacons are are like one particular piece of the the story here, but mm-hmm. it, it's a much bigger thing. So I mean if you think about what apps allow you to do right now, um it's it's a really powerful thing. I mean it it's obvious that, you know, we everyone always has their phone on them. It's always in their pocket or they're always looking at it. Mm. Uh, but it really allows us to, as developers, to to really tie into like the context around the user, like where they are at that given moment, uh, both in time and geographically. So mm. it's, you really get to, to leverage context. Um, and as far as the whole right now, real time thing, there's, there's all sorts of great technologies out there right now. I mean, obviously, you know, listeners of this show are going to be well familiar with things like SignalR, which works really, really well in mobile apps. And you can use that to keep a nice, persistent real-time connection between your app and your server and, and push things to the user uh, right. exactly in real time, which yeah. is amazing. It is amazing. Um, and then on the, the location side of things is, I, it, that's where things have been evolving uh, quite a bit. So if you, the classic, the quote-unquote classic way to do location would be to do some sort of geofencing thing, right? You right. have, you know, the, this goes back to, you know, the beginning of phones being able to tell you where you are. It'll use GPS or your Wi-Fi networks or the mobile networks to, to try and pinpoint where you are on a map at a given time. And the accuracy of this is going to vary wildly based on which of those methods it can actually take take advantage of. So the GPS will be most accurate, then then Wi-Fi, then your mobile network. Um, but your range can really be, you know, you, you might be correct within a few meters or a few thousand meters. I mean, it, it could really vary a lot. And if you walk indoors, then the GPS is pretty much useless to you. Yeah. And then, and, and then the other side effect of those is that they're also very battery intensive. So this isn't something that you'd want to be like constantly running in the background and polling for location updates because you're just going to drain the user's battery and then, and then you have no context because there is no context. Yeah. So, and, and that's where some of these new technologies really start to come in. So whereas something like geofencing, it, you can imagine the world is basically a map and you're putting a pin on the map where the user is. Um, but but where it gets really interesting is where you can kind of just throw the map out the window almost and and talk more about context and context is the the big word here that that I try to drive across so right. it's it's not necessarily where you are in a map or that might be a part of the equation um, and none of this is to say that geofencing has no use today and that sort of thing but but context comes into play a lot more so let's say you're you've arrived at a museum and you're walking around the museum and you want, you're in front of different paintings or different art installations. Um, that's, that's context changing around you. Or maybe you're in a grocery store and, you know, you're going through the different departments looking for different food, or you have some sort of proximity to not just physical items like, uh, you know, like a box of cereal or something, but also maybe the salesperson. Um, so this context is where you can really start taking advantage of things and, and dealing more with proximity to, to things that you care about in the physical world than you do with where you are necessarily on a map. Right. So less about locating yourself in a given space, but just knowing what you're close to. I find it's really true that, um, getting data in telemetry from devices is the 1% of an app when it comes to iot or any kind of uh intelligent data gathering thing and you say context yes you can measure the context but making sense of it seems to be where you know that's where we sort of break down as developers anyway is there any um kind of strategies that you have or technologies that you employ to to sort of put all that data together search against it and come up with any kind of meaningful you know input yeah, and and that's where it definitely gets really interesting. So I and where where there's there's no real prescription that that I would say for that, and that mainly is just because it's really up to uh, to you as a developer to to define that context and define that proximity. So so you kind of have the ability, and we'll get into what what beacons are in in a little bit um, to talk specifically about how you might enable that. But but really, you just imagine that you have the ability to say. 
you know, given this indoor space, um, just for the sake of an example, like these are the areas that I care about. These areas have some sort of intrinsic meaning to them, be it uh, a department within a store or a person walking around that store. And then you can just def start to define the experiences that you want to deliver based on that. Um, and, and it might be easier to, to talk in, in more concrete terms. So, mm -hmm. So one of the kind of canonical examples that everyone starts with, um, which is actually really good, is, is imagine this retail store example, right? So let's say, uh, you know, the user is walking through a shopping mall and they're walking past a store that has uh, this beacon technology in it. So the phone in, in the user's pocket could detect that they walked by that store because they have that store's app installed. And maybe the app shows a little push notification locally on the phone that says, hey, there, there's a sale going on. Maybe you want to come inside. Then, okay, the user sees that. They walk inside. The, mm -hmm. the phone now detects that they're actually inside the store because there's different proximity sensors going off. And maybe, maybe the app pushes a coupon to them or something. Yeah. So, so you're kind of rewarding the user for, the, um, for coming into the store. And then as they, they walk through different departments, maybe they see some some details on whatever they happen to be looking at. So if they're looking at jeans or clothes, they can kind of dig in and the phone basically knows where they are with respect to those products. Um, and then you can kind of take that the a couple steps further too and, and get into payment. So let's say they, they walk up to their the counter to pay. The, the point of sale system has some sort of proximity beacon that it's broadcasting, so the phone knows that you're you're coming up to the checkout register, hmm. and maybe you maybe you pay with with a beacon thing, or pay externally, or pay with NFC. Like all these things kind of tie together. Um, but what it really comes down to is you can define this this full cohesive experience based on proximity through the the user's experience in that location. So the beacon or the iBeacon is a little is it battery powered or USB? Because there's two two kinds of beacons um it could be both really okay. so um the the iBeacon if it's battery powered well at least with the gimbals which was the one i was talking about before we found the battery didn't last long at all especially if you're you know um pulsing out your location but um we also found that uh the proximity detection with those things wasn't so good and um, and and this is just the gimbals, so we sort of gave up on those. As far as the iBeacon itself, I'm I'm not sure, but is it only on iOS? Because there are other ones that uh, that are more widely available on other platforms, like Rad Beacon, I think, is one. Right. So that that's where you get into this kind of tricky area of like what is an iBeacon versus a beacon and that yeah. sort of thing. So maybe it's worth kind of defining what we're talking about right. here in terms and then and then we can get into the different platforms and try to differentiate these things because it's definitely a, a bit of a confusing space. Okay. Uh, on a technical level, like how these things are built is they're built on top of Bluetooth low energy. And this is a this is this was originally proposed by by Apple, as you might have uh, imagined from the the eye in front of Beacon here. Um, and if you're not familiar with Bluetooth low energy, it's I mean, it's basically what the name sounds like. It, it, it sits on top of the, the Bluetooth 4 spec. Uh, it has uh, a, a larger range generally than than standard Bluetooth. It has mm -hmm. a much lower throughput. So it's not really it's not voice capable. So you wouldn't use it for the, so all the same reasons that you might use Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. uh, but its power consumption is also just a very small fraction of what full-on Bluetooth would be, and the latency is a lot lower. Uh, so it really just has, um, a, it opens up a lot of different uses, and whether you realize it or not, like a lot of people listening probably already have a whole host of Bluetooth LE devices that they're working with. So yeah. if you have if you have a Fitbit in your pocket like I do, because uh, a step not counted and, and tallied isn't really a step worth taking. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, like those are talking to your phone over over Bluetooth LE or an Apple Watch and Pebble and all these things, and that's how they can they can do this communication with a you know standard Bluetooth connection mm. uh, without having to, to drain your battery within an hour. Yeah, very good. One of the things that we thought about, and I say we, this is the App V Next guys. We experimented with the gimbals, and the scenario was just that a museum where you walk up to a painting and, you know, all of a sudden it starts telling you about what you're looking at and that kind of stuff. And we just had the, the simple question, if you have a big room, is it better to put gimbals in the 
or beacons in the corners of the room and triangulate where the person is? Or is it better to just attach one beacon to one item and then that's then you sort of know which one you're closest to? I mean, what 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 is your strategy for for that kind of scenario, or have you thought that one through? Yeah, and and that that kind of boils down to what what data or what kind of context do you consider important? So, I mean, if you really want the ability to to map someone's exact location in a room, then you're definitely going to need to put you know at least at least one beacon on say every wall, and then you can use the the signal strength that you get. Well, three uh, to, to try and put what them, you need. Yeah. three corners is what you need. Right. And, and obviously, the more that you, you install, you know, the, the more fine grained proximity you're going to be able to try and, and get because you'll have more data points in a, a larger mesh network. Um, but, but generally, you, you probably don't need, like in the case of a museum or something, you're probably more interested in what the closest one to them is because that's going to be the, the particular painting or installation that they're looking at rather than, okay, they're standing in the center of the room as opposed to, you know, halfway between the center and the wall and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, you don't stand that close to the night watch. The thing's 20 feet wide, right? Like, you might actually be almost backing into a painting behind you while you're looking at that one. Right. And and all the APIs that, that are out there for interacting with these beacons will basically give you, you'll end up with a collection of all the ones that are within range that you detected and you could... And you could say, oh, well, this is the closest or these two are pretty equal and you can make decisions based on that. Right. So right. It, it becomes basically up to you as a developer to to light up whatever features or experience that you want based on that information. And I don't feel like that's a great scenario because, I mean, right now you type in the number of the painting you want to hear about on the little wandy thing and it tells you about the painting. You know, is that that doesn't seem like a bad implementation compared to trying to figure out the iBeacon problem to do the same thing. Or the barcode or... Yeah, or the, yeah, you're right. The, the, uh, the QR code QR scan code, approach. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, like, I don't, I don't personally see this sort of technology as being, okay, well, this makes every other approach out there obsolete. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of like one way where if everything is working correctly, maybe you can kind of guide them along or, or light up some sort of experience. Um, and, it, and it does go beyond, uh, you know, just museum installations and stuff, too. Like uh, one of my other um, examples that I, I like to point to is how they're, they're installing beacons in a lot of uh, Major League Baseball stadiums. So if as you're walking around the stadium, it can help maybe try and guide you to your seat or it can help guide you, for, in my case, hopefully to the nearest beer stand or something right. like that. Um, or maybe a couple of years ago when I was at a Yankee game, it, it could have popped up a little thing that said, Hey, did you know 24 hours ago, the guy sitting in your seat caught Derek Jeter's 3000th hit? <laughs> um, <laughs> and it wasn't you. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, in my case, I had an entire section of people reminding me the whole game, but nice. if, if they hadn't been there, then my phone could have also told me the same sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of, of, you know, things just happening. Like you're walking up, you, maybe you got your earphones and you walk up to something and you just start hearing about it rather than having to pull out your phone, look at your phone, type in a number, take yeah, a picture yeah. or Get whatever. Rid of, don't interrupt the flow. Yeah, right? don't interrupt the flow. Exactly. And then it tells me which one to walk to next and, you know, and the significance of something. But, you know, museums aren't, aren't the only thing. Um, basically, if you're outdoors, you can use GPS, but... But if you're, but you can't count on GPS, and that's the problem. You know, if it's overcast, or if uh, the signal is bad, or you don't have a lock on the satellites, it's much more reliable to use beacons even in an outdoor thing, don't you think? So this is just about interior position finding. Like, if we just did that, would that be the bulk of the work cases? I, I think that's part of it. I it, it it definitely goes a lot further than that too. Um, and even just to get out of the um, the the examples like baseball stadiums and and museums and things like that that are more kind of like opting you into information about it. There, there's one story that I saw. I think it came out last week that I thought was really awesome. And it's uh, in London. There, there's a company that's working on an app that uses beacons to basically to enable um, vision impaired people to to more easily navigate subway systems. So the the whole system would be you know, outlaid with a whole bunch of beacons and then the app would be running and transmitting to this uh, in-ear like bone conducting um, earphone and it could kind of help them navigate their way through, you know, this maze of, of subway stations and things without really being able to see. 
So there, there's definitely applications outside of, of things like museums that I, I think are, are pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, you can put it on every street sign, right? Just so that you, so that somebody who can't read a street sign for whatever reason, and even if you just don't speak the language, like remember trying to navigate in a place like Bulgaria, yeah. where it's a different character set. You're, I'm looking at the street sign and I'm looking at the address I'm supposed to find, and I can't see if that's actually the same street. <laughs> exactly, Zizis Street. Yes, <laughs> and with the and the one and there's the the mangled H with the extra squiggle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we talked before about uh, you know how this is built on top of Bluetooth, but I realize it, it's also worth mentioning like how this is built on top of Bluetooth because one of the one of the the first questions I originally had when I was first learning about beacons a couple of years back and that I get from most people that I talk to is that I, and there's. And for good reason, there's this association that people have with, well, if it's a Bluetooth thing, then you have to pair with it. And that kind of, you know, neg negates the advantage of, of something like this that, that's a little more, it, it just sort of happens. Um, so one of the things that makes iBeacons, um, and well, beacons, I try not to say iBeacons too much, um, that makes the, this beacon approach different than standard Bluetooth, like if you were pairing with your watch or your Fitbit, is that there is actually no pairing necessary because there's no two-way communication going on. Okay. Basically, you know, all Bluetooth uh, devices are just sending out these advertisement broadcasts that that say, hey, I'm here in case anyone cares. Uh, in the case of beacons, that advertisement broadcast contains everything you need to know about that beacon. So if you're looking at a beacon, you could basically think of it as this little speaker that you can't hear that's just shouting, I'm here over and over again. And it has uh, three key pieces of information that that allow you to interact with it. So there's uh, there's a UUID, which is a 128-bit uh, number that allows you to say define a, a group of beacons. So say like a a chain of stores could have their UUID that that is going to be common across every one of their stores, and then the app can say, well, I care about when we come within range of this UUID. And then underneath that, you can define uh, major and minor numbers, which are both 16-bit unsigned ints. Uh, and that, al that allows you to kind of segment that UUID however you want. So it could be maybe the major is a specific store, and then the minor is a department within that store or an employee or something. I, basically, whatever is interesting to your app. But, and there's, a, there's other things in the, the advertisement broadcast uh, as well, but those are the the main pieces of information that you as a as a developer are going to be dealing with. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep, time to do a beacon sweep of Prop Studios and disappoint my stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beacon sweeping. There's another one. Oh, I stepped on it. Ah, oh, that's a shame. That's too bad. It's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Telerik Next is the first annual global developer and customer conference from Telerik. Held at the prestigious Hyatt Boston Harbor Conference Center in Boston, Mass. on May 4th and 5th, Telerik invites you to come and join with developers from around the world to learn about modern app development and Telerik tools and best practices. From web to mobile to desktop, no platform will be left behind. Register today at TellericNext.com to reserve your conference pass, plus the attendee party at the Science Center. Ooh. And a special keynote from Mythbusters host Grant Imahara. Early bird tickets are now on sale for $450. Use promo code NETROCKS for $50 off of that price. Nice. Yeah. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Brad Wikes. Congratulations, Brad. Yeah, Brad. Golf clap for you. Hey, Brad just won the uh, Telerik DevCraft Collection, Big Pile of Awesome from Telerik. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of listeners all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 shopping spree in technology to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. And Greg, it's your turn. If you had five grand to spend on techno, oh, Richard, did you know that there's a new Mondays coming out on Monday? Nah, you're talking crazy talk. I'm serious. I edited it with Mark Miller. No. Yeah, no, no it's, it's epic. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't know why I just thought of that. <laughs> Greg, <laughs> what would you do with five grand? You know, I had to think about this one a little bit since uh, I my answer, part of my answer would still be the same as the last show, but I can't just reuse that because I still don't have that toy. Um, ah. and then, and recently I also 
picked up one of the nice new Retina, you know, 5K iMac, so oh. I, I don't need that either. It, Ooh, ah. it is be- it is beautiful. Is um, it as good as you think it is? Yeah, yeah. I have a hard time looking at any other screen now. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, th- I think what I'd have to go with, especially in light of what we talk, uh, what all the announcements this week have been about, is uh, probably just get a bunch of wearables. So I, yeah. you could easily blow five grand on, you know, some you know, a, a down payment on the expensive Apple watch. If you yeah, want that, yeah. you can buy <laughs> half of the top end Apple watch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you can get uh, one of the, you know, the quote unquote mid range ones for, for a lot less than that. And it'd be, it'd be pretty interesting. I'm pretty sure that the V one of this thing isn't what I ultimately want. So if someone else was, was fronting me the money, I would definitely pick some up. <laughs> hey, Greg, you know, um, one of the, uh, this app that I was talking about that was sort of like a tour guide app, you know, that we're building in app V next. One of the problems we come across again and again is apps just can't start talking to you. They can't just start, you know, um, playing audio and stuff because otherwise, you know, apps could be very annoying if they were always right. just yelling at you and stuff. So that kind of app that when you're just walking around, just starts talking to you is I think pretty much off the table. Tell me if you've experienced any other kind of roadblocks to ideas that you've thought about using iBeacons or gimbals or rad beacons or anything like that. Yeah, and and the problem you mentioned there is is definitely one that you're going to run into if you, if you're trying to imagine this um, the a world where you can just kind of do anything you want. I mean, if you're right. only if you're only targeting Android, generally you can achieve every anything you want if the user gives you permission because there's a permission for you know, doing just about every horrible thing there is to do on Android. Um, but if you want this to be a cross-platform thing, then you're you're definitely limited by what you can do. And the the two main modes of of operation for interacting with beacons um, are basically called um, they fall into what's called monitoring and ranging. So monitoring is what you can actually do when your app is in the background um, and. You basically say, I want to monitor for when I enter or exit a particular region where a region is defined as some combination of UUID, major, and minor. Yeah. Uh, and you could leave out major and minor if you care about all the ones in that UUID, and that's sort of up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get, you will get notifications in the background, even on iOS, even if your app isn't running. Uh, your app will be kind of woken up for a little bit to, to respond to that, that beacon, and you could do something like, push a, a notification to the user so you right. could do a local local push and s- like which can buzz the phone and and do that kind of thing and get their attention and get them to open up the app if you, they want a more immersive experience but yeah. yeah you definitely can't if the the device is locked and in a pocket then th- there's a limit to what you can do there well i wonder if you have an app that is open and running and you know not in sleep mode or anything like that mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that's the idea. Just having having it stay open, because then right. I imagine, you no, know, and especially if I don't know, I'm I'm trying to think technical here, and this is not the place for that. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think and talk at the same time, you know, it's... and that's where the that second mode of uh, beacon interactions comes into play. So yeah. we mentioned we talked about region monitoring, and then the the second mode is ranging. So once your app is in the foreground, you can enter what's called ranging mode, which is what'll give you the the real-time proximity update. So on iOS, they categorize it as a, uh, immediate, near, or far. They don't give you exact distances because it's it's not these signals aren't really something that you should be relying on for exact distances anyway. Because there's you know just like with any other signal, there's a number of things that can kind of impede the signal or maybe the battery's going down. And so it's it's really just a, a relative relative distance there. But as long as your app is in the foreground, then you could do this ranging operation and get um, constant updates as a user moves around a given space. So that right. that's more of the mode that you can you can do, you know, playing sounds and and doing everything that your app could normally do while it's in the foreground. Oh, that's that's very cool. Have you tried the Rad Beacons? Have we talked about those Radius Networks? I have. Um, so I've tried a, a host from a, a whole bunch of companies, and it's, it's worth mentioning, I guess. Like, uh, so it. You know, for your listeners, if if they want to get started using beacons, we should probably talk about you know how what the different options are out right. there and and what can talk to them because that the second part is also a key thing here. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can't talk to them, then they might as well not be there. Right. Um. So th- there's a whole bunch of players in this space right now. It's definitely pretty exciting, and some of the two of the biggest ones out there, or three of the biggest ones, 
um, or definitely uh, Estimote, Radius Networks, and Gimbal. Um, Gimbal, you've mentioned a few times, and, yep. and I'm well familiar with them, too. They make great stuff. Uh, the the beacons throughout Apple stores are actually Gimbals, so that, that speaks a lot to the um, Apple's confidence in them as well. Um, so, like... And all these these vendors have their own versions of, of hardware beacons, and uh, and we've talked a bit about how this is kind of a generic standard. And um, if you're using iOS, then the core location frameworks that are built right into the iOS APIs allow you to talk to beacons, so you don't even need any external APIs and stuff. But mm-hmm. what a lot of these companies do is they'll they'll help layer in um, beacon management type things, so you could say. Uh, you know, because once you have thousands of beacons out there, you need some sort of system to help you manage it and keep track of it. Um, these are also, I, there's no real security built into the, the spec because these are just little pieces of hardware or software that are broadcasting a signal that anyone could replicate since it's just a UUID major minor. So a lot of these vendors also give you ways to to maybe say like shuffle your your signals around and change them over time so that they're not as predictable. Does Apple have a lock on iBeacons? Like, can you not use iBeacons on Android devices or other devices? So you definitely can. So from a, a consumer standpoint, um, the the things that can talk to to beacons are uh, well, Apple introduced this with iOS seven. So um, it was basically just this big bullet point on like a, a slide that where they didn't even mention it. And it just said iBeacon and the world was left wondering what they meant for a little while because <laughs> they were, as usual, pretty quiet about it. But any, any iOS 7 um, and higher device can talk to beacons on Android. Uh, basically, starting with Android 4.3, you can talk to beacons and it gets a lot better um, the, the higher version you go on Android because they did a lot to improve the, the Bluetooth stack and things like that. Um, to date, there's still no Windows Phone support. Uh, Windows Phone 8, even though it supports Bluetooth and Bluetooth LE, it doesn't have everything that it needs exposed to to listen to these types of advertisements from iBeacons. So, unfortunately, that support's not there. But mm-hmm. I've been assured in non-official ways that Windows Phone 10 will have support. So that should that should make things a lot nicer there as well. Um, and on the in the case of Android, to your to your question before, basically what you end up doing is uh, these different hardware vendors also tend to put out software SDKs that, mm-hmm. for one, interact with their their own beacons and they're they're optimized to like Estimotes SDK is optimized to talk to Estimotes. Um, same for for Radius and that kind of you know, and that's exactly what you would expect. But you could generally use them to to talk to anything that's talking the quote unquote iBeacon spec. So if something's broadcasting as an iBeacon, um, then those other SDKs can help pick it up as well. Now I mentioned with the gimbals, the battery life was kind of not good and uh, it was intermittent, but Estimote says their battery life is three years minimum and maximum five plus. Is that really true? I mean, is that like not working? Because, like I say, the gimbals just suck down the battery. Yeah, and it's. I found that that's something that's evolved a lot too. Like I originally got uh, the original Estimote developer kit that they they started selling a couple of years ago for for a hundred bucks because I was really excited about this tech. And yeah. then, like three months later, I went to go pick them up again, and all all three of them were dead. And this was, I mean, to be fair, this is you know their first version that they put out, and right. they were very cool about sending me, um, sending me updates. The the problem with I don't know if you've seen Estimote, um, Estimote beacons, but they're these really cool looking little like almost like little rubber rocks that you could you could stick. Right, they do look funny. But to replace the battery, I basically just had to take a big knife to it and like cut them open. So they were nice enough to send me new enclosures too. <laughs> so that kind of defeats the purpose. Wow, there's no way to change the battery without actually mangling it. Yeah, it's the same with the gimbal. You have to stick a knife in there and kind of mangle it to open it. Um, but there are USB-powered beacons, and those are the ones that I'm really interested in. Like Rad Beacon has these USB chips. They look like little, you know, they look yep. like little uh, Wi-Fi things that you just plug in barely big enough to hold a chip like the yeah. uh, the the logitech adapter for the keyboard yeah just the usb plug right that's exactly what they end up looking like um and even just on the battery front like that's getting a lot better and it also really on, on a lot of these you can also um usually tune the 
the frequency or that you're broadcasting at and the power that you're broadcasting at. So if you know that you don't need to go 300 feet, you, you could only need 50 feet or 100 feet, you might be able to kind of tune down your beacon and get more battery life that way. Um, yeah. And I think the the more the current up-to-date beacons are definitely have a lot more um, you know tuned battery life than the, a lot of the early ones that I had tried. Um, but as you said, there are powered options as well. So you could do USB powered. Mm -hmm. um, which is, which is great, and then you don't have to worry about it. And then the other thing that we didn't really mention is that you can also do this through software as well. So if you have, um, if you have like an iOS device that, uh, starting with the iPhone 4S or iPad 3, those can all broadcast as iBeacons. So if you think of the example of, um, you know, a lot of shops are moving to these like tablet point-of-sale systems, uh, mm -hmm. like Square and that kind of thing, that that is always running and at the front of the store. And that could also be broadcasting as a beacon, you know, right in there without having to have any separate hardware in the store. Well, that's interesting. I suppose if you already have a device that's there, that's a good option. But, you know, I wouldn't recommend, you know, grabbing iPhones and sticking them behind paintings or anything. But that uh, brings me to another idea, which is security. How, how do you secure a chip, you know, like say it's on the wall behind a painting or something like that. I, I know the rad beacons <laughs> have these enclosures. That's kind of cool. But, but what if you're just using a little USB plug, you know, that's like plugged into the wall or something like that. You're gonna have to cover that with some kind of something that isn't going to interfere. Right. And, and that's where I, that's where it also gets interesting because you, you are stepping into the, the physical world with this stuff yeah. and, and you, and you start facing problems that you might not necessarily think about, you know, when you're just dealing in software. And uh, as a I can give a couple examples around that. Like, uh, I guess it was about a year ago or so, I had the bright idea to to take one of my gimbals and I attached it to my luggage when I was going on vacation to Italy. And I was like, you know, it really sucks to to have to sit around the the baggage carousel and you know try and fight your way through just to see if your bag's coming around. So let me attach this beacon, and then my phone can just tell me when my bag is coming around, and I can stand back and be you know not be a part of the madness. Right. Great idea. Yeah. I thought so too. But then what I hadn't thought of was double checking the thing I used to secure the beacon to the bag. So uh. some. some Turns out that somewhere in between uh, New York and Italy is uh, is a beacon that that was once attached to my luggage. <laughs> now, why wouldn't you just put it in the luggage? I tried doing that too. Um, at least the 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 battery life of the beacon I had available at the time wasn't, or the the strength wasn't good enough to to get as much distance as mm. I thought I might want to do. Uh, and got it. Also, to be fair, this was like a last minute like. We should really be going to the airport, but I'm tinkering with Beacon's kind of decision. <laughs> a harebrained scheme. Yeah, maybe yeah. some super glue on the outside would work. <laughs> right. But then it's on there, isn't it? <laughs> I think my favorite story that I've heard was I was talking to someone who is doing uh, a Beacon installation in a public park. So this is an outdoor space. And he said that uh, the problem they kept running into was that squirrels were coming in and taking the beacons and running off with them. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> so, like, that that's a whole level of problem that I just don't deal with in my day job generally. It's, uh, it's they, had to, they had to make these things squirrel-proof. Because <laughs> they, they, were, they were looking at it. They're like, why are these beacons on the move? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Another great idea is, you know, putting it on your key ring, right? Because you lose yeah. your keys. Where the heck are my keys? You know. Exactly. You could just, you can use it to do, open up all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. You, you can't really direction find with it. It's only a sole source signal, but I guess you can sort of. Hot or colder. Exactly. Yeah. I've done uh, the examples I often give when I, when I do talks on this is, is, you know, you can really, in a couple lines of code, you can whip up a quick, like scavenger hunt type thing where right, it gives right. you like you're getting you're getting warmer getting colder sort of thing sure um so that's the kind of proximity that you get try and triangulate yourself there just keep walking around see where the signal gets stronger Do an easter egg hunt yeah you know? exactly with eye beacons lots of fun so we've talked about i mean we kind of mentioned a, a little bit too the this whole eye beacon versus beacon thing like is this an apple thing is it an open thing um so i think it's probably worth speaking to that a little bit because uh, I, I know people I talk to are, are often pretty pretty confused about that as well. Um, and the, the the basic story there is that iBeacon itself is uh, it's a private spec from Apple, which again, being Apple should come up no surprise to anyone. Yeah. So it's the, there's nothing published there. Uh, the guys at at Radius Networks um, 
they had a whole bunch of really cool blog posts, I guess, probably a year or two back where they more or less reverse engineered the whole thing, like just based on observing how iBeacons behave. Um, and then what they ended up, and that's how a lot of these Android SDKs have been built. Like they're, they basically try and in software emulate what it looks like Apple's doing and using the same packet structure and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that they've done over the last few months is they've proposed what's called Alt Beacon, which is a, a proposed open standard for proximity beacons uh, that you could see at, at altbeacon.org. Um, so it's just a proposal. It, it's an open thing that they're looking for feedback. And they also have um, they have an Android SDK out there that that can talk to this. Uh, and you can also plug in um, like they're not allowed to ship this SDK with the the, the iBeacon uh, protocol like right inside of it. But you can hmm. you can kind of plug in that packet structure to have this SDK talk to iBeacons if you want to. And I know the Rad products talk Alt Beacon. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's just, it's a really cool movement that they're trying to spearhead to to get some more openness and then hopefully get a, a better cross-platform story than, I mean, because beacons are, they're an amazing technology and, and they open up really awesome things that we can do, but it doesn't really help if it's in this closed spec that only one platform can really use. Well, has Apple really done much with iBeacon at all? Like, I just don't know of a product or, you know, any real visibility into it. Usually my, you know, when Apple is keeping all, we always keep stuff close in their, in their, in their own little world like that, but at least they execute on it. Mm -hmm. So the big thing that they've done is, I mean, all their Apple stores are, are outfitted with, um, with beacons. So if you have right. the Apple store app on your phone, it's, it'll detect that you're in the store. And I think it can help you, uh, you can use it to, to do some like shopping, quick shopping in, in certain areas of the store or find an employee and, and that sort of thing. So the, they have used it at scale um, using gimbals, actually, in, in their own stores. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's, you know, with Apple, as you mentioned, like most things are part of a much bigger long-term play. So I think this is, you know, now they're starting to get their feet wet in, in NFC with Apple Pay. And then you have this uh, proximity awareness technology that they have built in as well. So I, I think these are all, all these pieces sort of fit together to providing the, this, this more like one-stop shop immersive experience like right inside of your apps. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, and, it, you know, the world isn't only iPhones either, right? Like, right. <laughs> they really do need to support Android for this to have any meaning. Right, right. And, and that's why the good news there is that you can use, uh, you can, you could broadcast, um, if you're, if you're on Lollipop, you can broadcast from your Android phone as a, as a beacon and you can consume back to 4.3. Um, the story isn't as good on Android just because uh, there's, a, there's more software involved and it's not as ingrained, but the, the story is there. Right. And there's also another cool project worth mentioning from uh, coming out of Google, which is trying to take this. I mean, this is kind of the evolution that features always take, right? Like a feature starts in, um, you know, it starts in the app world and then some sort of adoption happens to get it into the web world. Yeah, right. So Google. Google has this pro project that they're calling uh, the physical web that the, they're branding as an experiment. They're basically just throwing their hands up saying this isn't an official product, yada, yada, yada. Um, but it, it's an attempt to get beacon type interactions into the web. So what they do is they the beacons advertise, uh, the beacon advertisements basically advertise URIs instead of UUIDs. So you can... In a URI, you could specify a UUID if you want, or you could specify a web page. So, um, so it's the same sort of idea, but in a much more open and composable way because you can, uh, their goal is to be able to do this without any hardware apps installed, which, so it's a, it's a pretty cool thing to, to keep an eye on as well. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it does, it does feel very experimental right now. It's just, people are just exploring stuff here. Exactly. Yeah. I don't. I don't count the Apple stores as a definitive product of any kind. <laughs> no, no, uh, and and that's where I see all these other use cases being the 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 better definitive products, for lack of a better term. So the the sports stadiums and the museums and yeah. the shop shopping malls and uh, and that sort of thing. Like I know uh, I saw that that Target is actually rolling out this sort of thing in in all of their stores as well. So if you had the app, you could. You want to you want to find which of the the nineteen thousand target departments you're, the item you want is in. It can kind of help you go find it. So there's a lot of stuff you can unlock like that. Yeah, right. No, that's compelling. So where do you see this stuff going? Um, do you see the technology getting better, bigger, 
uh, ranges, uh, cheaper, uh, do, you know, does this coming into the home in any kind of consumer products? Uh, yes to all of the above. I think like I, the technology is definitely improving. There's a lot of players in the space really getting interested. There's a lot of apps starting to take advantage of this. Um, and to your, your question there about, is this going to really make it into the home? Uh, another really cool thing to take a look at is, I mean, we talked about Estimote before in their beacons, um, but they have they have a new thing that they're kind of pioneering that's built on top of all this stuff where they're they're basically stickers and they're they're c- trying to coin the term nearables. Mm. And the basic idea with with these nearables is that you would attach them to really anything. So it could be you know your, your shoes or a door or you know your cat or something like that. And uh, it's built on top of all the beacon technology. They're they're super super thin even right now. Um, they're I think they're about three millimeters thin. Um, and in addition to just doing proximity, they they also introduce a, a big range of of other sensors as well. So you can detect motion and temperature and orientation. Uh, so you can you'd be able to in theory detect when a door opens because you have it attached to the door and you'll detect the motion. Uh, mm. So, so you start getting the, this much more rich data set about real world things uh, all around you and, and temperature. Like for the temperature, I, I already want to use this for, for home brewing. Mm. So I need to get my hands on some <laughs> of these as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's safe to say that I mean, it's still early days for I, as far as where all this stuff is going. But there's a lot of super exciting things happening in the space. And I think it's going to become just more and more, uh, more and more accessible as time goes. Sounds awesome, Greg. Hey, uh, you going to be anywhere speaking anytime soon that we can tell people about? Um, I don't think I have anything coming up right now. I just finished uh, my current speaking gig, so I think it's uh, a couple months off. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, enjoy it. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. You bet. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a-